Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for September 23rd is Esther chapters 1 through 5. So many valuable life lessons in these pages today. The first one we're confronted with is how God did not intend marriage for our happiness. I'll say it again. God did not intend marriage primarily for our happiness. Perhaps somebody should have shared that with King Ahasuerus because when he was having a party, he decided to parade his wife around to show everyone how beautiful she was. The problem with that is that she didn't want to go along with his idea. She didn't think that would be a good time, and so she refrained. He was embarrassed and quite angry by her lack of compliance and spent some time deciding how he should handle this. He asked his advisors, and they told him the best option would be to teach her a lesson because if word got around that the queen defied the king's order, other women in the community and around the nation would learn that they don't have to be subject to every whim and wish of their drunken husband. So he put her away, and the text tells us that she never saw him again. Of course, as time went by, he became somewhat repentant about that, and he missed her. He's not sure what to do at this point. He asks his advisors, and of course, the culture and the law of that kingdom was that the king is perfect and anything the king says cannot be undone. He can't unbanish his wife from his presence. So they decide to have a beauty pageant nationwide and select a new wife for this king of questionable character. The thing is, friends, our actions always have repercussions. And for those of you who are married or who were married for a long time, you understand better than anyone how our actions affect those around us. It is interesting to note in chapter 2 that in preparation for this beauty pageant where they parade these women in before the king and he could choose whichever one he liked, they prepared these women by giving them special diets and special skin treatments to make them more beautiful. And it's the second book of the Bible that we've read where people's appearance is directly impacted by the foods that they eat. And I would be remiss if we didn't focus on that for just one second, because in our society today, we are told we can have it our way. We can eat what we want. We can have it when we want it and how we want it. And then we are marketed drugs and other expensive and potentially harmful fixes for the problems we develop, whether they be health problems or appearance problems, and sometimes both. It would serve us well to do some prayer and research so that we could learn how to be healthier people, better looking people that would boost our confidence And it would also help us walk out the mission that God has placed before us. We learn in chapter 2 about Esther and how she was an orphan. Her Hebrew name is Hadassah. 
that she was taken in by her uncle Mordecai. Mordecai was an attendant in the king's palace, and I wonder if Mordecai hadn't praised this young lady and filled her head with visions of the idea that someday she might be queen. I think every man, if he's honest, would admit that there is a sense within him of a desire to be a knight in shining armor to rescue the damsel in distress. I think every woman, to an extent, would have a similar dream of being a princess. The reason Disney movies and the like appeal to the masses so well is they generally tell the same story and it's something we can all identify with. What we don't know is what Esther's childhood was really like. We can only imagine. But I wonder if she had been dreaming of someday being queen, even though it must have seemed outside of the realm of any kind of a likely possibility. We also learn in chapter 2 how Mordecai becomes aware of a plot to assassinate the king and he intervenes, tips it off, saves the king's life, but is never rewarded for his service. A lot of times we do the right thing even at our own expense and it doesn't feel as though we get an immediate reward. It's important when that happens to rest in the idea that the right thing was done and the fact that God sees it all and he will reward those who do the right thing. We learn in Hebrews chapter 11 that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. As we seek him, we will be like him, and as we are like him, we will do the right thing regardless of the outcome. In the same way that God sent his son to die in our place, he did it for the eternal reward, not for immediate and instant gratification. Now in chapter 3, we are introduced to Haman and his evil plot. Haman is so vain that he wants everyone to worship him. He demands everyone worship him. And when Mordecai refuses to bow down to him, he not only wants to kill Mordecai, but he wants to kill all of the Jews. It's a reminder to me that you can tell when somebody is partnering with darkness when they don't just want to retaliate because of their own personal offense, but they want to annihilate an entire human race because they were offended. It's also a reminder that we are not in a battle against other people. We are in a battle against the spiritual forces that those people have come into partnership with. We read in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. But when somebody says something mean to you or they respond in a way that is offensive, let's not hold a grudge against that person Let's go to war against the spirit that is behind their actions so that we can win the war, not just the battle. In Haman's offense and in his rage, he issues a decree with the king's blessing to go out into all of the known land 
to annihilate all of the Jews. Every Jewish person is to be annihilated, to be murdered, and their material belongings are to be plundered. I can only imagine there must have been a sick sense of delight and anticipation among the evil people in the land, not just because they were going to be able to murder people, but also because they were going to have the opportunity to gain material wealth after taking these innocent lives. This plan is not only diabolical, but it is what the enemy is trying to do. Jesus said he was a liar and a thief from the beginning, and his job is to steal, to kill, and to destroy the work of God. When the edict went out, there was mass confusion in all the land. The source of confusion is the enemy. Friend, if you are feeling confused, that confusion is not coming from God. If you have people around you that are continually leaving you in a state of confusion, it is likely because they have wittingly or unwittingly partnered with a spirit that is not of the kingdom of heaven. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that God is not the author of confusion. Satan is. God gives us a spirit of a sound mind and love and not one of fear. This decree came from the enemy and it causes confusion and much fear, as you can imagine. It's very similar to Hitler's decree during World War II where he sought to annihilate all of the Jewish people. He came into agreement with Satan to accomplish great evil and it did not end well for him. When Mordecai hears the news in chapter 4, he puts on sackcloth and ashes and he goes out into the city square mourning loudly. She couldn't go all the way to the palace dressed like that because there was a law that no one could enter the king's presence or even be seen by the king while in mourning. I would refer to that as a shiny happy people only rule. In chapter 4 verse 4, Esther finds out and she is overcome with fear. She proclaims a fast. Mordecai tells her to go, use your position as queen to save the lives of all of your people. Of course, she's fearful and anybody else would be also. And she expresses that concern to Mordecai and he says the very famous words to her, perhaps you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. Maybe, Esther, all of those dreams and visions that you had of being royalty someday came true specifically so that you would be right here, right now. So that you would have the opportunity not just to be royalty, but to put on display the wisdom and the courage that are in line with someone who truly is royalty, not just a queen in name only. But he goes on to tell her, make no mistake, God will still save his people. But if you don't act, if you don't use the position that God has given you for this time, you and your family line will be cut off, but God will still save his people. Many of us have been put into positions of power and authority for a very specific purpose. 
and God wants to allow us the privilege of partnering with him to accomplish great things in this earth. But fear is holding us back. Friends, God will have his way. He will get done the things that he needs to get done and many of the things that he wants to get done. But it's up to you and me whether or not we walk in that with him. In chapter 5, Esther does approach the king and she invites Haman, that evil, wicked, despicable, filthy, nasty person, to dinner. Haman is so excited about the fact that he gets to have dinner with just the king and queen alone. He's so pompous and arrogant and vain, he can't see that he's on the very brink of losing his life and his legacy and everything. He's blinded by his own arrogance and his hatred. He goes home to brag to his friends and family about how awesome he is and yet how much he hates Mordecai. And his wife gives him the idea, go and build a 75-foot tall gallows on which to hang that despicable man you hate. And so he does. And that's where we leave at the end of chapter 5. Thank you for being on this journey, my friends. We'll see you tomorrow.